if you think of millennials as um, they're, that in general they don't they don't gravitate towards institutions they gravitate towards movements and causes so mm-hmm. things they need things to have a deep meaning for them in order for them to be invested in it so I think that this has great um, potential for the church because they want to be involved in a church that really is going to be out there rolling up their sleeves and changing the world for the cause of Christ. Welcome back to the Burlap Podcast. My name is Paul Shenon. I'm the host of the Burlap Podcast. And today we have an author, speaker, and advocate for the millennial generation. Uh, Sarah, could you tell some everybody a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, my name is Sarah Blakeney, and I'm originally from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And um, I have a background in Christian ministry. So I worked in youth ministry and then went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary and got my master's in counseling there, came back to Dallas and went back on staff with the same church, Highland Park Presbyterian, doing young adult ministry. So I really followed the millennial generation along their, um, their timeline and kind of, I'm Gen X, I'm a little bit older, but sort of grown up alongside them um, mm-hmm. in church. And so I've really, I've really become very interested in the way that millennials view church and by some um, extent the way that Gen X views the church as well. I, I think I really um, can relate to some of the feelings of the millennials have towards the church. So that's my background. That led me to write this book called Ready for More, How Millennials Like You Are Destined to Change the Church. And um, so it was sort of my background in ministry and some of my observations and my own feelings about the institutional church and Christian ministry and my relationship with Christ and how that was kind of all culminating in this desire to see something different, something more within the Christian church. Yeah, wonderful. Now, could you give people kind of uh, just a brief synopsis of, of, of the thesis you have for the, the book, um, where you're going and where you want to take people with uh, how millennials like you are destined to change the church? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> in working with young adults, I started to see a little bit of disillusionment with the institutional form of the church. It was interesting. The way that really manifested is they might not come to Sunday school, but they'd show up in droves to go to a service project. And I started wondering what was driving these millennials um, in terms of their church engagement. And about that same time, I heard my um, head pastor talk about this interesting pattern Um, a 500-year pattern of Reformation. It was written about by a woman named Phyllis Tickle um, in a book called The Great Emergence. And in this book, she kind of lays out this whole 500-year pattern of Reformation where every 500 years, the church really changes its form and the way that it relates to the culture. So, of course, the function of the church never changes. That always is intact, which is, 
to uh, maintain Christian orthodoxy and to spread the gospel around the world. But if you look back, there's every 500 years, the church kind of like changes in the way that it relates to culture. So as I looked at that pattern, I realized that if it's true, if it holds true, we're at that point in history for the 500-year shift of the church. So I started trying to connect the dots thinking, well, wait, maybe some of the disillusionment of the millennial generation, and admittedly some of my own disillusionment with the current form of church, could it be because we're at that time in history when the whole thing's going to shift anyway, therefore that disillusionment is a God-given instrument to help shift the church? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what, uh, what were the other key things you'd named um, uh, a young adults or millennials lack of engagement with Sunday school, but their enthusiasm to come out and engage in a service project. What, what other things started to emerge for you as keys to understanding the disillusionment um, that millennials have? With the um, I think, the, you know, the voices of other leaders, I remember Louis Giglio from the passion ministry saying that in his anecdotal evidence that although many millennials were leaving the church, and in fact, Dave Kinnaman of the Barner Group calls it a dropout phenomenon. There's this entire dropout phenomenon of kids in their 20s and 30s from the institutional church. But Louis Giglio noted that even though many were leaving the church, they weren't necessarily leaving their relationship with Jesus. So Mm -hmm. I I thought that was interesting. And then I'm sure you're familiar with that um, video that Jefferson Bethke put out called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And so, again, there's kind of this, this bifurcation between the institutional church and the um, people's personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And another author, um, she's written books, but this was actually on a CNN blog, Rachel Held Evans, was talking about how churches – oftentimes get it wrong by just thinking, well, if we can just make some programs, you know, develop programs that are kind of culturally relevant to millennials and bigger and better and flashier with latte machines or big bands, something that will attract the millennials, then we'll get them to come to church. And she was saying, millennials are not going to church because we don't find the cool factor there. We're not going to church because we don't find Jesus there. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, but, right, yeah. um, and I'm not saying that that's, that that's reality, but I'm saying that that's mo- the millennial's perspective, is that there seems to be something of depth missing in the institutional forms of church. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, now your stance isn't a doom and gloom uh, scenario uh, in your book. It, it's, it sounds like you have a hopeful stance in your book towards the millennial generation. Uh, and, and so what are some of the hopeful things that you see uh, within the millennial generation uh, as, as they process through this disillusionment? Um, that's such a good question. I think, you know, it's interesting because sociologists have called the millennial generation the next great generation after the GI generation, which you know Tom, Tom Brokaw coined as the greatest generation. And that's because the GI generation was self-sacrificing, altruistic, 
they sort of forewent their own personal pleasure and comfort for the greater good of the nation during that time, of course, with the Great Depression and World War II. So it's really interesting that sociologists have come along and called millennials the next great generation. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think there's so much conflicting research out there about millennials because some people would say they've observed maybe the opposite of millennials that they're, I mean, some of the negative stuff is that they're self-focused, narcissistic, but if you think of millennials as um, they're, that in general they don't, they don't gravitate towards institutions, they gravitate towards movements and causes. So mm-hmm. things, they need things to have a deep meaning for them in order for them to be invested in it. So I think that this has great um, potential for the church because they want to be involved in a church that really is going to be out there rolling up their sleeves and changing the world for the cause of Christ. And so, but when we talk about greatness, I think many millennials have been led to believe that they are great, you know, sort of no kid left behind, every child gets a trophy, which leads to... um, confidence, which leads to um, unrealistic expectations, which then leads to disillusionment. So I think what we need to do as a body of Christ is say, okay, millennials, yes, you are living in a time in history where the church is about to go through a profound change in the way that it relates to the culture. You You are joining a movement that is great. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's talk about what true greatness really means. True greatness doesn't mean that you have a million Twitter followers or that you have your picture on the cover of Forbes magazine. True greatness means that you are giving your life to Christ and you're giving your life to others in the name of Christ. So I think that there's a real opportunity here to, to capitalize on this sense of greatness and say, yes, absolutely, you are great. You're great in the kingdom. Now let's let's disciple you, let's educate you about what that looks like and how God wired you and how he placed you in this unique time in history for a unique purpose in the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, one of the things that, um, that, uh, that we've noticed among millennials is that, um, is that for them to kind of engage into a movement, engage into a cause, is that uh, a part of that entry point into it is that they see their peers doing it um, and that their first entry into it isn't a a full-on, you know, huge commitment of life and resources and and finances. It's it's like a a step into the water to see how their um, their gifts and their talents connect in with a cause alongside their peers, and then they they move deeper into it. So I wonder in that message of yes, you're great, um, and uh, and this is the way that true greatness is in the kingdom of God. I wonder if if the current leadership of the church who are um, who are probably a majority of Gen Xers and Boomers um, can actually deliver that message to uh, the millennial generation, specifically those that are just the nuns and duns 
mm. with a church mm. and how much mm-hmm. that needs to actually arise out of their own generation. What, what, your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think that's where this missional form of church, I think, is a really exciting option because um, rather than asking millennials to leave their culture, whatever that is, outside the laws, you know, like you said, the nuns and duns that are out there at the tattoo parlors or the bars or going to brunch on Sunday morning rather than going to church, rather than um, it's what Alan Hurst calls the extractional model. Whether it, instead of extracting them from their culture and asking them to um, assimilate into the four walls of a traditional church, I think this is where it's really exciting to explore with millennials the idea of missional forms of church. And the, the Methodist church in particular has been, I mean, amazing at going out and rather than doing an attractional, extractional form, it is a missional, incarnational form of church. So what that means is the leaders go out into the culture, engage with millennials in their natural habitat, so to speak, and take church to them. And in doing so, you're really um, you're validating millennials on who they are and where they are, but you're mm-hmm. being the hands and feet of Christ to them and showing them what it looks like to disciple, to, um, to relate to people within their culture. And, and that can have a real inspiring effect on the millennials to then do the same. So one of the examples I love is this Methodist church down on the Florida-Alabama line on the beach. It's, they meet on Sunday mornings at this outdoor bar that's right there on the Gulf of Mexico. And so it's led by, a, a, I think, a Gen X pastor. It's attended by all these millennials that would never set foot in a traditional form of church. But here it is. It's this Methodist church. It meets at this bar, and they can come, you know, in their cover-up, um, sit down and attend church. I think two years ago they had, like, a thousand baptisms in the Gulf of Mexico. And what, oh, wow. what the pastor said was, if if you can't get them to come to church, you take church to them. So I think um, just to sum that up, what that means is that you can invite millennials to be who they are using their, I mean, relationships are so important to millennials. And you were saying that a minute ago, if their peers are going to do it, they're going to do it. So by rather than having them extracted from their culture, meeting them where they are in their culture and inviting them to engage the gospel with their peers in their natural habitat, I think can really validate who they are and then help pull out that giftedness that's in them to say, yes, I, I don't want to be in, and this is a millennial talking, I don't want to be in something that's a, a static monolith or a a holy huddle, you know, a church that's just a, it's just a church version of helicopter parenting where I'm insulated and isolated from the world. I think this missional model is really cool because it says, hey, you can be out in the world. You can be who you are and you can roll up your sleeves and change the world for the cause of Christ right where you are. You know, in the anticipation of the the 500-year change, what are some things that you, you feel like are 
some pretty um, significant things that are up for grabs uh, for for being reformed, for being changed uh, in this this 500-year cycle this time around. Uh, do you do you sense that there are uh, there are forms of uh, of doing church or being church um, that are going to get upset in this this process, or there are parts of uh, the church key doctrines or whatever that are that are kind of on shaky ground at this point. Hmm, I think that's an excellent question, and um, yes, I I think something that I'm passionate about is the priesthood of all believers, meaning that leadership can be um, more functional and less hierarchical in nature. And I think many churches are doing this. I think there are churches that are still very hierarchical in the ways that they lead the church. And I think if, and I mean, I'm just stabbing in the dark here, if the next iteration of the church is more missional, meaning outside the four walls, in a particular cultural context, then you, it, it may lend itself more to this functional leadership, meaning one person comes and they have the gift of preaching. Another one comes and they have the gift of um, giving. Another one comes, they have the gift of intercession. And it's not so much paid ministry positions as, as it is participants in this particular cultural context that perform a certain function within the body of Christ. So I think the the questions, the big questions that emerge out of that are, how are we going to preserve orthodoxy and avoid heresy in this new form, yet give people lots of leeway, lots of freedom to innovate, experiment, and discover who they are and discover these new ways of doing church um, and provide enough freedom and structure at the same time where it doesn't spin off into something crazy. In terms of the current leadership of churches, what would be uh, maybe one or two pieces of advice um, of leading through this time period um, of of trying to reach millennials and minister to millennials that are already a part of the church? Um, What would you say to those leaders um, as they come into contact with this disillusionment and this, the emergence of these um, upheavals within the church itself? I think a couple of themes that I hear over and over are millennials saying they want to be discipled, that they are, they're yearning for that. They are really wanting others to sit down across the table with them one-on-one, look at them in the eye, open the Bible, and disciple them. So I think that there's a real need for that. And I guess, you know, as leaders, maybe um, really seeking that out in a relational, organic, interpersonal way and less of a programmatic way. So that, again, that you're out there meeting millennials on their turf, you know, in the coffee shops or wherever, discipling them. And another thing that I hear from millennials is that they really want to be able to question out loud in their discussions of theology. So things that my generation and maybe the older generations, we feel uncomfortable with certain topics in the church Mm -hmm. and wrestling with certain doctrines. And so there's this tendency to tiptoe around, um, I think, certain, certain points of view or certain doctrines. And I think millennials really, I mean, 
gosh, one of the catchphrases for them is authenticity. They crave authenticity. So to have that authenticity in these times where they can really wrestle with their own personal issues, with the doctrines of the church, and to have leaders not be intimidated by that, not have them put off by the, you know, the, the debating or the heated discussions, but to really hang in there. I think that that's where that true discipleship can happen. And then one third thing is I've heard millennials say that they like reverse mentoring, that they love a seat at the table and to be able to bring, you know, aspects of their faith, what they believe, what's important to them, and really be able to reverse disciple some of the older generations. So I love that because, again, that goes back to that functional leadership, you know, where we all carry apart. Maybe it's the, the zeal and exuberance of the younger generation that they can bring to us. And then we have the wisdom and experience that comes from being part of the older generations that we can bring to them. So I think that there's a real opportunity to dialogue among the generations and kind of bridge and disciple and reverse disciple, mentor and reverse mentor. Hmm. Great. Well, thank you, Sarah, for your time today and for being on uh, the podcast with us. Um, if there is a way for people to get a hold of you, uh, what are, what's one or two ways that's a, a good way for people to connect with you um, outside of uh, contacting us? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to my website, which is sarahblakeney.com. Um, you can also get my book on Amazon, and it has my contact information is actually on the book jacket of my book. So feel free to reach out to me either way. And um, we'll, I just love dialoguing with people, so I'd love for anyone to reach out anytime. time. 